aside from Jesus Christ, who's the very Son of God, there is far, far more written about the life of King David in the Holy Scriptures. There's far more pages devoted to telling the story of his life, his biography in the Bible, far more than anybody else. Why? Why devote so much time, so much energy, so much space to telling the life of David? Why is his life so important for us to understand, so vital? Two things. First of all, David is for us a great example. Secondly, David is for us so much more than just an example. He's an example, but he's so much more. Our text for today is from our first reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And here in this text, finally, we have come to the end. To the end of David's life. He's 70 years old. Now, for some of us, 70 years doesn't seem that old. During the time when David was living, though, the life expectancy is Scientists and people have tried to figure that out. It's somewhere between 35 to 40 years. So to live to be 70 years was quite an achievement and a blessing from God. David took the throne when he was 30 years old. He's now 70. He's been reigning for 40 years. And the book of 1 Kings, chapter 1, verse 1, gives us this little detail. It begins the whole book saying this, Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Maybe some kind of circulation issue that was happening. But can you see there, David, he is this old man reigning for 40 years. He's lying there in bed. They're covering him with blankets. They just can't seem to get him warm. And we don't know. We don't know, obviously, what David was thinking as he knew he was about to die. We don't know what was on his mind, his heart, as he's looking back over the course of his entire life. We don't know what he was thinking, but we do know what the people of Israel were thinking, many of them. For all the people in Israel, this was a time of crisis. This was a problem. Because remember, for most all of the people in the kingdom of Israel, David had been on the throne those 40 years for all of their life. They never have known anything other than David on the throne. And 
Because David was on the throne, in those 40 years, they had seen unparalleled victory, unparalleled peace, unparalleled prosperity, unparalleled expansion of the borders of the kingdom of Israel. This was the golden age, the golden period for the people of God. And for generations and generations, people would look back to the time when David was king. If only things could be like they were when David was on the throne. If only. It was the golden period. And this was a crisis. This was a problem because now he was going to die and they had heard God had chosen who? Solomon? Little young Solomon to be king. David himself even acknowledges this to be a concern, to be a problem. He says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, David the king said to all the assembly, and this is the assembly of all the leaders of all the tribes and of all the families and all the officials and all the generals. David the king said to all of those people, that assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young, and inexperienced and the work is great David is giving voice to their concerns and their anxieties and this crisis that is happening we know I know he's young and he's inexperienced and the work is great David says this is a time of instability and a time of great uncertainty for the people of God and so what do they do What does David do? And all of these officials and leaders and rulers and the people. Well, you would think that if it was a time of uncertainty, right, all of this great prosperity that they had enjoyed, but now this is a time of economic uncertainty, what are they going to do? They're going to tighten their belts. They're going to conserve their funds. They're going to make sure they are saving their money and putting it away. What David and the people do is the exact opposite. in the building of a temple. Not just the tabernacle that the Ark of the Covenant had been in for all of these years, but now they want to build a permanent, beautiful, glorious temple in the city of Jerusalem. And David and all of the people in that assembly, they are giving lavishly, and they are almost being reckless in their spending. Look again at what it says says that David is provided for the house of his God. This is verse 2 and following. So far as he has been able, he says, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver and bronze for the things of bronze and iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood and onyx and all of these rare precious stones and jewels and marble and all that he's given. And then he says, in addition to all of that, out of my own sort of storehouse and treasury, he says, I'm giving 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of refined silver. Now, what's a talent? My footnote in this very Bible says that one talent, one talent was 75 pounds. So 3,000 talents of gold, that's 225,000 pounds 
of gold. And if we were to put that into the modern day equivalent, understanding that the gold, you know, the price of gold can fluctuate, David is giving in modern day U.S. dollars somewhere around 500 million, maybe even close to a billion dollars worth of just the gold, not including the silver or the bronze or the marble or the wood or the jewels or the iron. And people have tried to estimate how much David actually gave, and some people have said maybe as much as $20 billion worth in modern equivalent. Certainly he is giving billions the building of the temple during a time of great uncertainty and instability. And then it says that all those in the assembly, it says as a, quote, free will offering. You see, this was the first capital campaign ever in the history of God's people. Matching funds from King David himself. But all of those people give almost twice as much as David gives. This is billions of dollars that are being spent again during a time of uncertainty what are they doing how are they doing this and David's prayer here again what is so important about the life of David why so much time in the Bible given to the life of David again this great example that he is to us this prayer that he prays, we see his worldview, we see this lens and how he was able to have this peace and contentment and the people were able to be content and to have faith and to give in this way. Verse 14 of Chronicles 29, David says, but who am I? Who am I in comparison to God? And he said that God is greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty. You know, the more he magnifies who God is, the more humble David becomes and the more freeing that is. And he says, who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. All things come from you. David, this is an amazing thing for a king to say. He's saying everything that I have and everything that we have, we are simply beggars before you, Lord. All of it is yours, and we're simply giving back to you what you have given to us. And then it says in verse 15, David says in his prayer, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Our days on this earth, David knows his time is coming soon. He says our days are like a shadow. The older you get, you look back over your life, you realize how fast time moves and how short life really is and that perspective is actually a healthy one because now David and the people are investing not simply in the things of this world but investing in this temple to God into deeper spiritual and eternal things it's what St. Paul would later go on to write in the book of Colossians chapter 3 when he says set your mind on things above not on what? On earthly things. 
the more they glorify and, mag and, and magnify God, the more humble David becomes, and the more they see how short life really is, the more he is investing, he is liberated to give to those eternal things. And what an example David and these people are to us of faith and trust. Why so much of the Bible devoted to the life of David? Why is he so important? First of all, we see the great example he is to us. But if you've been following the life of David over the last several weeks, you know that David's life wasn't always a shining example of being a follower of God, that David had done horrible, horrible things. And David's family and his kids, well, they put the fun in dysfunctional. David isn't just an example. He's secondly so much more than an example. You know, for the people of God, for generations, for a thousand years after David, they told the story of David. They wrote down the story of David. They learned about the story of David. You know, after the Babylonian Empire came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed that beautiful temple of Solomon, and then after the Babylonian Empire, it was the Persian Empire, and then after the Persian Empire, it was Alexander the Great and the Greeks and the Macedonians, and then it was eventually the Roman Empire and God's people never had a great and glorious king again and they were for generations looking back. If only things could be the way they used to be during the time of David. Maybe you felt like that in your life. If only, if only my life could be the way it was when A, B, or C was happening. You see, David is for them and for us, again, more than an example. He wasn't just something to look back to. David was about looking forward to something so much greater that God was doing. That David and the life of David was showing so much more promising so much more and actually leading historically to so much more. The life of David shows us, first of all, so much more. David was a shepherd who became a king. And in the life of David, this ideal king of the people of God, the shepherd boy who became a king, you see this is merely a foreshadowing of the one who would be the great good shepherd, who would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the son of God, David's son, yet David's Lord in Jesus Christ. The greater and truer David who didn't just give of gold and silver, but as Martin Luther would say in his catechism, but would give his holy, precious blood and his what? Innocent suffering and death for you. 
And even the temple that David was providing for, it was his son Solomon who would build the temple. But even in the temple, we see that is showing us something greater in the ultimate temple of God, the temple, the place where God manifested himself in this world. And that is just a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. God in flesh, God incarnate. John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling. He tabernacled, he templed himself, literally is what it says in the Greek, amongst us. And who could have imagined in that temple all of those sacrifices for all of those years, the goats and the lambs without defect and all of the blood and all of the sacrifice for all of those years. And all of that was, again, a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice and who could have guessed who could have guessed that God was going to offer himself as the sacrifice God sacrifices himself makes propitiation through his blood so that he is just and the one who justifies us freely in the life of David, God is showing us something so much more wonderful and amazing. And in the life of David, God is secondly promising us so much more. Again, you remember, perhaps you remember, David said, now that I'm uh, victorious over my enemies and now that I have this wonderful palace, God, I'm finally going to make a palace, a house, a temple for you. And God says, no. David, I'm going to make you a great house. And by that, he meant his dynasty and his legacy of his son Solomon and all that followed. And he says, it's your son Solomon who's going to build the temple. And while standing before this assembly again in this advanced age, back in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, David actually is reminding the people of this story about how Solomon was to build the temple. And it says this in verse 6. He says, God said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father, God is speaking, and I will establish his kingdom forever. God is saying, your son Solomon is going to be my son. I'm going to be his father, and I'm going to establish his kingdom Forever. Now, some people believe Solomon lived to be 80 years old. That's 10 better than David. But 80 years is still far less than forever. That when God is making this promise of establishing the throne forever, a son of David, this is a promise of the Messiah, of Christ, that was fulfilled when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said to Mary, the Lord God will give to him, your son Jesus, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That when God makes a promise, he will not break it, no. When God makes a promise, he cannot break it. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And that's, that's just not accurate. 
My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's generally true, but there's something that God cannot do. God, once he makes a promise, cannot break that promise. Once God makes a covenant with his people, he cannot break that covenant. All the promises that God has made to you in his word, all of them simply must come true. He said and he's made some amazing promises to you always with you, always loving you. David is an example, but he's so much more than an example. He's showing us something so much greater. He's promising us something so much greater. And do you see, in the life of David, he is actually leading to something so much greater. Again, you've noticed over the last several weeks, the life of David has taken a bit of a turn. He started off pretty good the shepherd boy that was chosen and he took out Goliath and he was very faithful and he didn't take King Saul's life when he had an opportunity and he's writing all these beautiful psalms and it's amazing but David did some terrible terrible things and as I said his family and all of his children it was a mess and again David is standing before this assembly he knows he's about to die 70 years old and He almost seems surprised at what he says to the people here. He says this. He says, Of all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. Well, yes, David, you had at least eight wives, which did not please the Lord. Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. David almost seems surprised. He chose Solomon, huh? Solomon, of all of my sons, he chose Solomon. Okay, Solomon, Solomon's it. God is purposefully and very intentionally choosing Solomon to be king to be the one who carries the great promise of the Messiah down the line. Solomon. Why Solomon? Of all the wives of David, do you remember who was the mother of Solomon? It was Bathsheba. The woman that David had taken, the woman that David had abused the woman whose husband David had arranged to be murdered. That's the one, that's the son that God is choosing purposefully to carry the promise of salvation to the leading and the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. What is God saying and showing us in that he's leading through this mess so that God will say it's not despite the darkness but through the darkness that I bring my light. It is not despite the brokenness, but I choose to work through the brokenness to bring the healing and the wholeness. It is through sin that I choose to defeat sin. And even in this, we see a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. That in your cancer diagnosis, that in your job that you lost, that in your marriage that is on the rocks, through your divorce, through your failure to get on the team of your choice, whatever the 
worries and the stresses of your life are God is saying to you in the life of David, in the mess of his life, it's not despite it, it's through it. That I am actually saving you. We've come now to the end. David is 70 years old. He knows his time is soon. He's in bed. They're covering him with clothes and blankets. He can't get warm. He's cold. He should come to church here. It's very warm in the room today. <laughs> We're working on the air conditioner unit, guys. And we don't know what David was thinking. We do not know what was in his mind as he's reflecting over his life. But I have a pretty good guess. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, David wrote over half of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. And there's that one Psalm in particular that is of such great comfort to us as we face our own valley of the shadow of death. And the very last word, the very last sentence of that great Psalm, Psalm 23, which says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. We said this at the very beginning of this sermon series all those weeks ago. The word follow in Hebrew is the word radaf. And radaf, every other time it's used in the Old Testament, and it's used a lot in the Old Testament, every other time it is not translated as follow, it's translated as pursue. And it's most often used, radaf, pursue, in relation to one army that is trying to pursue and overtake and capture another army. David understands as he looks over his life and even the messes and the great sins of his life that the mercy and the goodness of God has pursued him and has been chasing him down to capture his rebellious heart and soul and to make him his very own so that... You might know the same is true for you. God will not let you go. Oh, love that will not let you go. He will not let you go. So that we join David through the greater and the truer David in the death and the resurrection of David's son, yet David's Lord Jesus Christ. That we, that you, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To Christ alone, David's Son, yet David's Lord, be all the glory. Amen.